Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, July 29th, 2011. All right, today's, well, just going to change it up again, a little bit different of, of a program. It's like this edition was preempted by something super important. We'll talk about that here in a second. <laughs> I'm going on the air, and somebody posted photographs of me from high school on my Facebook wall. I'm going to have to shoot that person. Anyway, not really, but... Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And after listening to today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, you're going to, well, I think this is one that's going to make you uh, unhappy. Uh, this is an edition of Fighting for the Faith that is going to, well, probably make you angry. Here's the reason why. Um, we're going to be talking about, um, in fact, uh, let me I say we. And I, earlier today, I uh, was on a phone call with a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Rogan. And uh, Jeremy was um, a guy who was on staff at The Crossing in uh, Elk River, Minnesota. Now, if you're not familiar with The Crossing... Um, let me just jog your memory, and you'll immediately know what I'm talking about. Recently, I reviewed a sermon by a guy by the name of Eric Dykstra, uh, where he talks about being a donkey, and he sings the donkey song, sweetly swings the donk, uh, sings the donkey. You know that kind of that that guy, the donkey sermon. Well, um, well, <laughs> how does the saying go? Where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, there's there's some serious problems uh, over there at the crossing in uh, Elk River, Minnesota, and uh, and so uh, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Rogan, who, well, was a small group leader, was a volunteer, uh, was promoted to pastor uh, at one point uh, there at uh, The Crossing. Uh, he tells his story in a, pu in a blog post that he just published, and uh, you can find it at ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com, ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com, and... Uh, after reading, I, I couldn't even get through the whole thing, and I knew I needed to interview this guy. So I, I called, I, I sent him a quick message, and we uh, agreed to, um, well, to, for the interview today. And I wanted you to hear in your hear from somebody who's experienced this stuff on the inside, because there's not a lot of people who've been through what Jeremy has gone through who are willing to discuss it. And what I have analyzed on the outside, he's confirmed as somebody who's there on the inside. And here's one of the primary, primary theological problems with the seeker-driven church. You know, when when we when I play uh Perry Noble, you know, saying, you know, beating his sheep where he says, you know, I, I think you personally suck as a human being or or, or I play something by uh, you know, Stephen Furtick who says, well, if you don't like rock and roll music in the church, the reason the theological explanation for that is cuz you're stupid. Uh you know, there's a particular um well, stripe of leaders that have filled in the leadership ranks in the seeker-driven church. And there's a reason for this, and that is is that methodologically, the seeker-driven church movement basically tells these seeker-driven leaders that God has a direct vision that he's going to give to uh, the pastoral leader, and his job is to 
make himself worthy to receive that vision. And then once he receives that vision in a dream or a vision or whatever, he's to cast that vision. And then everybody in the church needs to get behind the pastor in seeing that vision come to fruition and, and coming. And, and as a result of it, I mean, they get rid of their elders. They, there's like no accountability. The accountability comes from the top down and you've got to get behind the pastor. And anybody who disagrees with the pastor is thrown out. And uh, this is something I've known for years as I've been receiving emails over the years from people who've experienced this kind of abuse as a result of this type of leadership. It's not this is not the the leadership that's laid out in scripture that pastors are to follow. This is something completely different. And so somebody like Eric Dykstra comes along and this guy um well it's questionable as to whether or not he even has any solid theological training whatsoever, but uh, his story is one of uh, a narcissistic um, leader who thinks that he's received a vision from God and and he abuses uh, his so-called pastoral authority and really really the stories that are coming out of uh, Elk River and the Crossing are harrowing they're 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 just flat out horrible now I will extend an invitation in fact this is the formal invitation I will extend an invitation to Eric Dykstra the uh, pastor of the crossing in Elk River, Minnesota. If he would like to come on my program and uh, and and uh, you know provide his side of the story, you know, and allow me to uh, cross-examine him, uh, you know, on and have the opportunity to speak for himself, uh, then he's more than welcome to do that. And uh, and all he has to do is to send me an email at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith dot com and let me know uh, when he's available for the interview. I'd be happy to have him on the program. Uh, but today, uh, it's it, the, the it, we're going to have a former staff member at the crossing on the program sharing his story of what he saw happening at this church, and I can tell you that this his story is not isolated. And what I mean by that is is that these are the stories I'm receiving from people all across the country who are on staff or are are volunteering for small group leaders in you know many many prominent seeker driven churches and so uh what you're he- what you're going to hear on this edition of fighting for the faith in my interview with uh, with uh, Jeremy uh you need to think that this the the symptoms the things that you're hearing there's stories that are like this similar to this all over the country in these seeker driven churches so um why because these guys well they think they're hearing from god and and uh, uh they're not and as a result of it, there I I think they're really actually doing the work of Satan, and I think that'll come out really uh, loud and clear in this uh, episode of Fighting for the Faith. You know, just I'm not trying to pull any punches; just want to say it the way I think that I see it. Anyway, um, so uh, without any further ado, uh, let me cue up the audio from my interview earlier with uh, with uh, Jeremy Rogan. And uh, by the way, this is going to be the only thing we do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I don't want this episode to, uh, I, I don't want to be distracted away from this interview. Let's just put it that way. That, you know, if I were to do the other stuff that we normally do, I think it would detract from the seriousness of what it is that you're about to hear. So without any further ado, here is former Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota, small group leader and, quote, pastor, uh, Jeremy Rogan. All right, on the line I have Jeremy Rogan, and uh, Jeremy is a former member of The Crossing in Elk River, Minnesota, and a former small group leader, and he just recently published a, a blog post, uh, I think in uh, celebration of his one-year anniversary from leaving uh, The Crossing, uh, talking about some of the, the uh, let's just say, leadership issues uh, going on there at The Crossing, which, by the way, the one of the reasons I'm having Jeremy on the program is is that the story he tells at his church is not an isolated story. I get emails from people regularly with similar stories at at other seeker driven churches across the country. Uh, not too many of them are willing to talk about it uh, publicly. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the program. You're welcome. Oh, okay. Glad to be here. Okay, so you, how did you start going to the crossing in Elk River? So walk us through. You know, what caused you to walk in the door? What made you decide to start attending there? Let's start at the beginning. Let's tell this story so that uh, our listeners, my listeners, can really understand what, you know, uh, you know, what brought you there. And, you know, and it'll help them overall to understand your motive now for talking about what happened there. So what what brought you to uh, the crossing in Elk River, Minnesota? Uh, What brought me there is um, I hadn't been to church in a long time. 
so I, I'd kind of been a lost sheep. And they were doing church in the Elk River Theater, the movie theater. They didn't have a building at the time. So um, one of my friends at the time, now my wife, you know, she had been there a few times, and she just invited me to to go to a service. So that's kind of how I started going there is we went to a service titled uh, High Heels and Duct Tape. And actually, <laughs> it was High Heels and Duct Tape? High Heels and Duct Tape. And High Heels was Kelly... Kelly Dykstra, that was the first service I went to. She was actually preaching that day and teaching basically women how to dress and and how to find a a man. Oh, well, it sounds like some really practical advice. I'm I'm sure that all the women there have applied those techniques and have uh, have bagged themselves a man by now, right? Yes. All right. Well, you know, you know, hunting is a very popular sport in Minnesota. I understand that. I mean, you, you got to use the weapon of choice, you know, for whatever it is that you're hunting. Okay, that seems often weird, just bizarre for a church to be talking about. So that was your introduction to this church, and you thought, "Wow, this is a godly place, and I want to start going here." Actually, no. It was more like a, a rock concert in there, and like I said, I hadn't been to church in about ten years, and it was more. I went there. There was a concert going on. They were getting everybody to hoot and holler, and and pretty much it was. I I went back the, the next week because I wanted to see this. Um, oh, what's the word? This Eric Dykstra speak, and he didn't speak that week. He came out at the end and said that the next week was going to be all about the men. Ah, okay. So then I came back the following week to watch watch Dykstra speak. Okay, and your first impression of uh, Eric Dykstra? Um, I he wasn't like anything I had ever seen up on the on the pulpit. Um, swearing, uh, telling the women if men don't act this way, kick them in the balls. Uh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's some pastorly advice. Wow. Um, really? Yeah, that's them. Them were exact words that came out of his mouth. I, I like that audio. If you have that, if on CD, you know, or you know, an MP3 file, fire that one off to me. I that, that I, I might want to have to songify that and uh, pass it along to folks. Yeah, we should be able to find it. I believe it's on iTunes. Okay, I'll take a look for it. Okay, so that was your introduction, and then that is what made you decide that this is a godly place where you're going to grow and and be more like Christ. Uh, no, I was still actually we. We were going to because they weren't just singing. They weren't singing praise music there. You would hear Motley Crue, Metallica. My '80s rock bands was, was a lot of the music that would be be being played, and maybe one Hillsong United song. So a Hillsong song, a uh, one Hillsong song that sounds redundant, uh, mixed in with some really good '80s hair bands was uh, the normal f- affair there. Then what you're saying? Yep, yep. A couple, and then and then they yeah. A couple, maybe one or two Hillsong songs, and and then '80s hair bands. All right, cool. Because you know, I, I, growing up in the '80s and and actually being in a Christian school and going to church, I, I attended uh, Pasadena Nazarene, where uh, James Thompson, uh, his uh, cousin, was the uh, pastor, and uh, he was one of the teachers there. And uh, they didn't, you know, back in those days when '80s hair bands were doing the '80s hair band thing. Um, the Christian churches were pretty much down on the worldliness, the uh, obsession with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and saying that that was the kind of stuff that corrupts good character and that good Christian kids really ought not to be uh, uh, listening to and supporting uh, 80s hair bands. And so uh, Eric Dykstra has flipped this whole thing on his head, and he thought, let's just bring it into the church, and we're going to open up with these hair band cover songs. Well, he, he not only said that, he also said that you know he apologized for the the churches out there that weren't growing like his, that he said congregations of 80 to 100 do not have the Holy Spirit, and it's because they're singing boring hymns. Oh, man. Without without the Holy Spirit in them. But so, okay, so if you sing a hymn and you have less than 100 people in your congregation, well, the Holy Spirit just completely passes over that particular congregation and figures why waste his time, right? According to Dykstra. According to Dykstra. Holy guacamole! Wow, that's that's pretty um, preposterous, pretentious, uh, just flat out wrongheaded, and and wow. Okay, so okay, so um, and this is what made you decide this is the place for us to attend. Uh, still not 
not to, to follow Jesus. Um, the, the thing that, that, that made me turn around, it wasn't even at a crossing uh, service. Uh-huh. We, had, we had attended a small group um, that Tracy's cousins ran, and actually her cousin's husband, I saw him leading a, leading a Christ-filled life, and that's, I kind of wanted a relationship with Jesus, and that's kind of how I decided to make Jesus my, my leader. He wasn't really at a service at a crossing. Okay, so okay, so somebody associated with the church in one of their small groups had a, a more profound impact than uh, Eric Dykstra. Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, so you this is this is going all the way back to um, July of two thousand and nine. If I've if I've got your time timeline correct, so this is when you this were first. This would be January of two thousand. In two thousand, so January two thousand and eight. Okay, got it. All right, I just I'm trying to figure. You know, I'm, I want to make sure I got the timeline right here. Okay, so um, oh, so January actually, I, I'm looking at her blog. It says January two thousand and nine is when. Uh, uh, January January two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay. January two thousand is when yeah. you started, and you left in August of twenty ten. Yes, that's okay, correct. Got it. Okay. So, okay. So, um, all right. So somebody else who. Seemed a little bit more sanctified than Eric Dykstra, who was associated with the church and leading a small group, had an impact on you, and you wanted to know more about the Jesus that guy believed in. Not necessarily Eric Dykstra's, but he was part of the church, so you you, you got hooked into this church as a result of that other guy then? Yes, yes. We, we started going to this small group. Um, I became really good friends with him. Okay. And... and and mostly, you know, going to to an Eric Dykstra service is more. When, when I first started going, I mean, he's, he's up there telling jokes to a seeker. He sounds funny because that's all you know. Right. And then and then you got the band that comes on like a Motley Crue concert, right. lights flashing everywhere. Yeah. So, it, so that's kind of, that's kind of the hook that they get you to come back. They're coming back for a show. Okay, so it, it's it's. So does their band have some decent rock and roll chops? I mean, are they a pretty decent band? They're pretty. It's a pretty decent band. So, I mean, you're not you're going there. It's it's a pretty good band, actually. Okay. Yeah. No, I I've heard that uh, Eric Dykstra. I mean, he he has some grand vision that he believes that God, the Holy Spirit, has given him, and he wants like you know like fifty thousand you know people that are part of his church in multi-campus sites throughout Minnesota. I mean, did he talk about that vision a lot while you were there? Well, interesting enough, we had got married a year ago tomorrow. We went on our honeymoon, and we came back to step down as leaders, and, and we had missed that service that one weekend. Okay. And everybody was running around talking about how Eric had a dream, and God gave him this vision of what the church is going to be. Okay, now... Uh, and, I, the, and I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Okay, this is actually, this is a reason why I wanted to kind of key in on this piece. And that is, is that um, one of the things I've noticed about seeker-driven pastors is consistently ab- across the board, they're taught or they catch it, you know, in listening to other guys who are like them, is that God wants to give these guys a specific vision for what he wants to do with an individual congregation or a church plant, and that the uh, the pastor has to make himself worthy to receive the vision, and then once he receives it from God, his job is to cast the vision, and then everybody else's job in leadership is to get behind him and support, uh, you know, support him and help make that vision come about. Um, what, so you're saying you you actually missed. Uh, you know, you, you were on your honeymoon when he got the actual vision from God for the the next level that he's supposed to take the crossing to. Yes, we came back and everybody was wearing um, a shirt that says "I love my church." Um, the crossing, and that was the series he did. And that's, I guess, when he first introduced his vision. But when he first really started doing his change, uh huh, for this stuff was in 2010. That that winter, going to the spring, he went and had a meeting with Pastor Bill Cornelius. Oh boy! Okay, yeah, uh huh. And he came back and he called a small group leader, leadership meeting, and he immediately said that you'll be many Eric's and you will not run a small group on Bible study. It'll be done on my talks. If you don't like it, there's the door. 
Okay, so, so, so slow down there. Okay, so, okay, so he goes down to Texas and he meets yeah. with Bill Cornelius. Okay, yeah. He comes back and he said that the small group studies are not going to be Bible studies anymore, but they're going to be studies based upon his sermon talks. Yes. And what was the kicker to that particular announcement? If you don't, um, we were going to do it his way, and and and. In that meeting, he said there was no longer an elder board at the crossing. Yeah, there there goes uh, any any form of accountability out the window because he's got the vision now. Everyone's accountable to him. Yeah, and then well, interesting enough, I don't know if I'm fast forwarding. If you go to Elevation website, the crossings codes and Elevation's codes are pretty similar. Ah, okay, so uh, yeah, he he's kind of like a, um, a a not nearly as talented with and not nearly as cool Stephen Furtick type. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Stephen and Eric, if you, I mean, I think it, Eric's is number three in the code that he got a vision, or number two, and Stephen's is number four. Right, yeah. It, it, by the way, if you, you can see uh, Stephen Furtick's, it's called The Code. Go to Elevation Church, uh, their website. Google them. They're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, there's a section in there, if you click on it, it says The Code, and uh, it makes it very clear that the job of the people in the congregation is to support the vision that God specifically gave their pastor. So Eric Dijkstra modeled himself after what uh, what Bill Cornelius is doing, what Stephen Furtick is doing, what Perry Noble is doing, and, uh, and along with it uh, came kind of an authoritarian, top-down, my-way-or-the-highway approach. Absolutely. Okay, now... Uh, would you say the people on staff at the crossing are qualified to be uh, well pastors and Bible teachers? Um, there's not one pastor that I know of that has any background in theology. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ma- pastor Bruce Rama he he was a friend of Eric and and he challenged him to be a pastor and now he's a pastor there. Uh, the executive pastor, who was the campus pastor up in Zimmerman, another another gentleman that lived with Dykstra, and he was a seeker, not living the life that that Eric thought, so he made him a pastor. Uh huh. Um, I I noted in my blog there was a, a young man named Jeremy H, who was on our um, our greeting team. Mm-hmm. He went from one week coming to me saying that he's going to move to Florida because he doesn't believe he doesn't know if he buys into this Jesus thing. Okay, wait, wait. <laughs> slow, That's Eric, kind of Eric's words. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, slow down, slow down. Hold on a second. It, it sounds to me like you're describing a person who was on leadership staff at uh, at uh, the crossing in Elk River who actually wasn't a Christian. You, you're not saying that, are you? I'm, I'm definitely saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let me see if I have this straight. So the, <laughs> there was at least one leader on staff at the crossing in Elk River who was challenged to be in pastoral leadership who actually wasn't even a Christian and wasn't sure if he believed the Jesus thing. There was there was several. Several? Oh, man. Um, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, maybe I'm just too narrow-minded and, and you know, old school and, you know, one of these pharisaical religious types, but um, I think that uh, non-Christians shouldn't be pastoring Christians. It, 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 do you see any precedent in Scripture for non-Christians pastoring not, uh, uh, Christians? Do you see anything in Scripture that would say that's okay? No, I would think you would uh, want church leadership like First Timothy 3. You are, uh, okay, all right. So somebody who's mature in the faith and you know uh, uh, rightly handling God's word. I mean, the, you know, the Greek there is, is you know somebody who's able to uh, study and showed himself approved a workman who need not blush with embarrassment. Rightly cutting the word of truth, kind of a tent making thing. That, okay, so uh, you're saying uh, now? Okay, does Eric Dykstra, to your knowledge, have a seminary degree? Um, not to my knowledge. Okay, so to the best of your knowledge, he doesn't. Um, to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't. Okay, so he may he may have a seminary degree. You're just not aware of it. Uh, he may have um, some people from from the church that he was a youth leader that they happened to put Dykstra to to plant this crossing church. Uh huh. Um, several of them, they were unsure if he has one either. Okay, have have you ever asked him? I. I've never asked him. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, there, 
even let's say um, if let's let's be charitable here. Let's put out a hypothetical. Maybe just maybe he has a seminary degree from Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and Al Mohler is his mentor. Um, if that were the case, is there any indication you know that he has? That he is rigorous in his Bible study, cr- properly handles God's word, and that his rigorous theological training at the seminary is really coming through in his preaching. No. Okay. All right. Um, kind of an odd situation for a church, don't you think? Uh, very odd. Okay. Um, we became small group leaders. Um, well, it was right after my mom had passed away from a sudden aneurysm, and we were just challenged to do it. You Nobody were challenged. You we were challenged. Okay. That's kind of what they, they do around there is they challenge you to do stuff. Okay, and what what's your theological training? What qualifies you to be a small group Bible study leader? At that point, nothing. I was grieving my mother's death. Oh, man. Okay, so you, you were literally in mourning, and then you're challenged to be a small group leader, and you figured, why not, and you just decided to go for it? Uh, Bruce told me that... And again, I'm going to for counsel. He told me that it would help by me doing helping others. I would help myself. Ah, okay. So, so oh, wow. Okay. So, mm. Got it. Okay. And the first day we had our small group, the ne- we had our small group. We we pretty much met everybody. The next day we had to go do a hospital visit for one of them, and we were told that was our our job. We were now pastors of the church. What? 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 what, what? Hang on, I don't think my headphones are working right. Let me see if I have this straight. You're not theologically trained. You're grieving your mother. You're challenged to become a small group leader. The next day, uh, after your first meet and greet with people in your small group, you're visiting somebody in the hospital, and then you're promoted to pastor. Yes, we were told that you are now a a pastor of this church, and it's your responsibility to go and uh, shepherd this young lady that's in the hospital. We were also told as small group leaders we were to perform funerals. Uh, how how good have you gotten at performing funerals? I, I haven't done one. Okay, so... You... And I would, have, I would have refused to do one. Okay, so wow. I mean, talk about like, you know... <laughs> I, I don't want to say it's like a battlefield promotion because, you know, in, in war, I mean, there are times when, you know, like a, a private can go to a sergeant rather quickly as a result of leadership, you know, being knocked off, you know, in battle and things like that. But pretty much you're basically telling me that, you know, if, if we were to use a military metaphor, um, you had never, you know, in this particular army, you'd actually never been to basic training, uh, never been shown how to properly fire your weapon. Uh, you were challenged to go into leadership and then promoted to, you know, um, an officer rank pretty much without any training uh, orientation whatsoever just because he felt like this was what God wants you to do? Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Um, let, let uh, Let me digress for a second. Um, how are you doing personally in, in in Christianity at the moment? I mean, did you leave the faith after leaving this church, or were you confused? I mean, where are you at right now? Um, actually, we were we were reading our Bible while we were at the crossing. Even right. though we were, you're considered a Bible nerd, and he actually put a picture of a nerd up there that he considers to look like a nerd, and said, "If you're you're constantly in your Bible, you're a Bible nerd." <laughs> but we were reading our Bible to, to, you know, to answer your question and, and not agreeing with what he was saying. Got it. So we, we were growing in our faith on our own. Um, it was more of when we left, we found out later that people were instructed to not talk to us again, and everybody in our wedding no longer talks to us. Wow. Uh, it was. It was. That was the most hurtful. Is is the the betrayal by everybody? When we left, Dykstra never called me. Uh huh. Never asked what's going on. Um, and we ended up, you know, finding a biblically grounded church. Mm-hmm. And we, we've, my wife is still healing, but I've healed. Okay. But, but um, I'm, I feel very strong in my faith. Okay, so. Not, not to anything that Dykstra had taught me, though. So you, your faith grew kind of despite or in spite of everything that Dykstra was doing, not because of it. 
Now, again, I, my, maybe my headphones are not working correctly. I mean, I'm having a hard time understanding the things that you're saying, at least as coming from a pastor. Did I hear you say that Pastor Dykstra would mock people who spent time reading the Bible and call them Bible nerds? Yes, Bible nerds, because you should be on his vision and his mission. Your your head shouldn't be stuck in your Bible. And he actually, in his sub, he did a series on submission, being submissive to your authorities. Right. And that and that series, he put a picture of a what he considered a nerd, somebody with glasses that were broken taped, with a pen holder, and uh, basically called you a Bible nerd. Well, I, I would wonder what he would think about me. I mean, I read, I read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. I, I, I'm, I'm probably, you know, you know, not worthy of living. Um, okay. Um, wow. Okay, we're going to pause this interview right here, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pyrochristian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pyre Christian. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that!
Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Warning, any pastor who actually doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is not a pastor in the church. And anybody who makes him a pastor isn't a pastor either. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and warn the church about the shenanigans that are going on in the name of the new leadership, the new ways of doing church. The way you can support us financially is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. There's two friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate, the other says join our crew. By joining our crew, you're signing up to contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount or make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, here's the balance of my interview, and I'm going to warn you ahead of time. This At the end here, at the interview... Um, let's just say the end is really unsatisfying. Uh, that's the best, best way I can put it because what you're going to hear is so ridiculous, so far outside of the bounds of pastoral behavior that, I mean, words don't even, they, 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 you're going to be left speechless. That's the best way I can put it. So we continue with my interview with Jeremy Rogan. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. I'm. I, I, it's rare that I'm speechless, but your story is crazy. Um, now, there's a, there's a part in your uh, in your blog post where you talk about a time when you were forced to fast. Can you give me some of the details surrounding that particular incident and what was going on there? He was having an Easter where he was giving away the cars, right? And he had a community of leaders meeting, and we were told we had a little. I wish I would have kept this stuff, but we had a little card of things that we were um, to do because uh-huh. we were under his submission. But we were fo- everybody was forced to do a 14-day fast okay. for blessings on how many people he wanted to come to the service. And that if you did this fast, God, God was going to bless you. Okay, so you... And then you were encouraged to tell people at work and have them fast with you. And the fast was in order to get bigger numbers into the church? Yes, he wanted 6,000 people at the church, I believe. Okay. Did he did, did he hit that number? To be honest with you, Chris, I don't know. We, we When we planted Zimmerman, we were in charge of counting. They would change the number we would actually put down on the sheet. Ah. And volunteers were counted twice or three times how many services were there that week. Uh-huh. Well, we have no idea how many people actually were at the crossing because if there was four services going on, 50 volunteers got counted four times. Ah, okay. So you're saying there may have been some padding of the numbers. Definitely padding of the numbers. 
Okay. That, well, when, if numbers are really the thing that you're gauging whether or not the Holy Spirit is blessing you by, I mean, I can understand that, you know, some padding there will help you feel like the Holy Spirit is blessing you more. Um, based upon your experience there, um, on any average, any given average Sunday, how many folks really, if you had to guess, how many folks were attending the congregation, uh, you know, as of August of last year on, you know, on any given Sunday? Um, in Zimmerman, we had about, it would be counting the kids. You counted the kids that were in the nursery too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe 90 to a hundred people up in Zimmerman. Uh-huh. Elk River, we honestly weren't going up there anymore. Right. We, we, um, oh, maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred, maybe. Okay. And that's, and that would be, I don't, I can't even remember how many services they, they did have. They had three, they had two on Saturday night, maybe three or four on Sunday. Okay. So for a grand total? They were a grand total, I'm going to guess a real number, 1,500. Okay. And what were they publishing and telling people? Oh, definitely 2,500 to 3,000. Ah, Okay. If you do, if you, the I watched the I Love My Church series that I missed, and uh-huh. Kelly Dykstra does the numbers, and and the the numbers she showed when it was in the movie theater is way off than the, the numbers that were actually there. I think she was showing six hundred people, and I, I know for a fact we were only around three hundred done. I mean, it was just increasing, increasing every time they talked. Wow. Okay. Um, so, all right, let, let's kind of recap to where we are at this point. Um, you're describing a church where Eric Dykstra believes that he's he's received a direct vision from God and that everybody's responsibility in the church is to get behind him and make that vision come about. Um, he mocks people who spend time in the Bible. Uh, he, prom- he, he has non-Christians on staff who are actually pastoral leaders in the congregation. The small group leaders are quickly promoted to being pastors, even though they're not qualified to be pastors. And, um, wow. Um, okay. And then he, according to you, uh, probably engages in, there's a culture there where there's an inflating of the numbers because the numbers are, are everything. The numbers are everything. He was actually—I was actually getting emails from them as leader emails eight months after I was gone. And there's one where he, Eric, rips all the leaders, saying we everybody's saying that the Holy Spirit was here, but the numbers don't prove it. <laughs> and and I can email that that to you. He also says that that you guys all stood up and were held accountable of how many people you were going to bring, but the numbers don't show that either. Good So he had people standing up. Even when we were there, you would stand up and be held accountable to bring 10 people the following week or 12 or whatever his number was. Uh Uh-huh. And if you didn't have them and you showed up, he was going to ask you where they were. Okay. So, all right. So, I mean, wow. Um, Okay. Um. Uh, on a different note, let me just kind of ask this question. I mean, did he ever really correctly teach the biblical concept concept of repentance and the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ and his penal substitutionary death on the cross? Did you ever hear about Jesus' shed blood for you while you were there at that congregation? Um, I heard that Jesus wasn't probably a carpenter, that he was a bricklayer, and that he was built more like a like a bodybuilder than the woman Jesus that that's up on everybody's walls. Okay, so all right, so um, so he's uh, got he's, he's got a mask in Jesus. He says is my Jesus, and we never quite understand what he's talking about when he says my Jesus. Okay, so he has his own personal Jesus. Um, that's a bricklayer, not a carpenter, um, who's uh, ripped and 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 really. Uh, Wow, okay, that's a little different. Well, of course, you know, God talks to him directly, so who are we to challenge him, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's kind of the um, the culture there. Um several times in your uh, in in your uh, as you tell your story on your blog, which by the way, if you if if my listeners want to read this, 
Uh, you can find this uh, on the internet at ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com. Ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com. Um, several times you make the allegation that uh, this congregation is more like a cult rather than a church. Um, so, it, 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 is it what, what would in your mind? What is what make what? Where does it cross the line from being a church to being a cult? What? Wh- how are you defining cult in that? In when you describe it in those terms? Um, everything Eric says, people are people must do, or they're kicked out the back door. Okay. And he actually, when he says this stuff, he actually uses a, uses a punting motion. Is how he kicks them out. Oh. Okay, so he's even got like a football move for that, you know. So he's even got a football move. All right, so uh, that we we'll, we can call that extending the left foot of fellowship, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you've got to get behind him. You can't challenge him. You can't question him. You got to do what he tells you. And if you don't, then he gives you the left foot of fellowship in a punting motion. Yeah. So there's nobody holding Eric Dykstra accountable to anything. Uh, he claimed he had an inner circle of friends that he talks to. Um, to this day now, if you were to read his blogs, it looks as if though Bill Cornelius in Texas holds him accountable. Yeah, I, I find that hard to believe. Um, yeah, I've, I've <clears throat> been in the same room with Bill Cornelius a couple of times, and uh, let's just say I'm not impressed. Okay, all right. So what what is it that started opening your eyes to the fact that there's a problem here and what ultimately was the thing that said uh, that made you say okay this is it we're out of here because you were there for uh for more than a year you were there for almost a year and a half yeah okay uh, the small group meeting but right before the small group meeting when he met with Cornelius during his christmas series mm-hmm. he did things he he made, he made everybody say a prayer that actually you know our eyebrows rose and in our Bible reading at home, we were talking about you don't test God. Right. And he told us he had a prayer that he had. He wanted everybody to memorize, um, challenging God to show up in a supernatural way this Christmas for him. Oh, okay. So we're gonna and, and we're gonna exactly, test God. I dare, you. I dare you is what he said. He said that to God. Yes, I, and he wanted all of us to say it. That I dare you to show up in a supernatural way. Wow. Okay. And that that kind of just seemed so what you were reading in the Bible was being directly contradicted by what he was saying in these leadership meetings and from his pulpit. Yeah. Okay. And and the how Christmas ended on Christmas Eve was um Pastor Bruce Rama got on stage and sang Motley Crew Home Sweet Home. And that's how the service ended. Your Christmas service ended with Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home. Yes. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that just reminds me of the baby Jesus every time I hear it. Okay. Um. But what ultimately, I mean, we knew we were going to leave. We had this commitment um, that we signed with God, this covenant that we signed with God that, that they forced us to do. Right. They wanted us to fire volunteers if they didn't have a leader apprenticed under them. Okay. So in one email that I got, they, how I, I got this email saying that if everybody, if everybody who's on a serving does not have a leader apprenticed, they will be fired by August 14th. And it said this is not no kidding. Okay. Um. Fire yeah. a volunteer. That seems like a weird statement. Fire, Fire a, a volunteer. Okay. Because they didn't have a leader apprentice. If they didn't have a leader apprentice. And, and again, 95% of the people that go there are seekers. Right. Um, within this email, they sent out a few more as the weeks were coming. And then they finally described what an apprentice might be. Okay. So all these people were were running around trying to get an apprentice, and they didn't even know what, what one might even be. Okay. Because they did not want to be fired and kicked out of serving God. But we chose to, we said we were not going to do it. Okay. It wasn't biblical, we're not going to do it. 
Um, and if they, this continues, if they force us to do it, we're going to step down, which ended up happening. We stepped down from leadership, and the following week we were forced out of it. Okay. And they ran you out on a rail. He gave you the, the left foot of fellowship in a punting motion, and uh, and and then basically trash talked you to everybody who was like in your wedding, and you've lost all those friendships and everything. Yeah, we have nobody talks to us. Any people that stood up in our wedding, the only one that that uh, talks to me is my brother, who does not go there. Okay, that was in our wedding, so. Wow. Uh, What you're describing sounds a lot more like a cult than a church, that's for sure. Um, So let me ask you, I mean, is is there a pretty big revolving door there at at the crossing in uh, Elk River, Minnesota? I mean, it it seems like with that type of abuse going on, uh, it would be uh, pretty difficult to uh, keep people for the long term. I mean, is there a a, a, are there a lot of folks who've been uh, given the left foot there? Well, it's in his his code of the samurai number seven where where they're looking for somebody else to have your seat we're not we're not here to keep your seat there's a big revolving back door and we're finding out more and more that people are leaving there just abused and hurt and they, and most of them don't even want to go to church again yeah yeah, that's I. This is, I get emails to that effect from people all across the country who've been in churches like this, that uh, they've stopped going to church altogether. And uh, some folks uh, I've spoken with actually blame it on Jesus. Um, are, are there those types of folks uh, that have been that hurt that they actually think that this is this reflects on Jesus Christ? Yes. Wow. Yeah, we actually um, got a text from one of our friends who has left that her friend got kicked out and can never step back on on the soil of the crossing again, um, had a panic attack when she walked into a church this weekend because oh, no. she didn't know what was going to happen. Wow. Okay. Um, so um, it sounds like there's going to be more and more of these folks as uh, Eric Dykstra continues in his, quote, ministry. Um what can people be doing to uh, to reach out to folks who've been hurt like this? I mean, you, you've you've experienced this type of abuse yourself. Um, uh, are and I, I'm assuming that the reason why you've put that blog post up is in some sense to reach out to some of these folks to let them know that um, this wasn't Jesus who did this to them. This was uh, basically a narcissistic. Uh, nincompoop who uh, is a cult leader who who has hurt them not not god um oh, a- absolutely that's that's the reason and we actually started a uh support group there's a support group now that that people that have been spiritually abused not just by dykstra but by by any church mm-hmm. in the minnesota area um that they can get help and and we've got other biblically grounded pastors in the area that are that are more than willing. They're, they're talking to these people, finding them a church to go to. Okay. And uh, you can find that our group on Facebook at Backdoor Ministries Support Group. Okay, so, so you're on Facebook at Backdoor Ministries Support Group. Backdoor yeah. Ministries Support Group. And that, that's actually a, the right way of putting it. Um, backdoor. Man. Man, 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 man. Um. <sighs> I'm not surprised to to hear this is happening. I mean, you know, I, I think you. I'm assuming that one of the reasons why you posted this on my Facebook wall is because you've heard some of my sermon reviews of yeah. of Dykstra's. He recently came onto my radar, and um, and he is really um, just a glaring example of what is wrong in the whole so-called seeker-driven movement and this the so-called leadership. Uh, that these guys are are creating and promoting it, it's it's a leadership where there's no accountability it's a leadership where uh you know where these guys actually think that they're pro- prophetically receiving visions from God and are abusing uh spiritual authority to the degree where the, you know they they're trying to get people behind basically making them look good rather than uh feeding God's sheep i mean it, it doesn't seem like uh, the the concept that you know that Jesus had a conversation with Peter about, where you know uh, Jesus says to Peter, "Feed my sheep." Uh, 
Uh, I don't think these guys are are into sheep feeding at all. No, they're not. And, and before we left, I'd actually emailed um, Eric because he doesn't answer phone calls um, with no response. Um, so basically, when you're gone, he he says see you and, and goodbye. So he 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 doesn't allow anybody to critique him. Period. Absolutely not. Wow. So all critique is uh, considered a challenge to the vision that God has given him? The vision to his authority that God gave him over us. Okay. In, in one of the submission series, before we had left, he actually used the word, he's our earthly master. Uh, serious? Yes, I believe it. that's what he called himself. And he actually took the plague of the locusts, and said that he doesn't really know if it was a plague. It was more like the locusts with church people. And he's the leader of the locusts, and we can go from one town to power that, next town to power that, to the next town to power that. Wow. And that's how he described it. And that was the last service that we ever actually attended. Okay. And then as we went to pick up our children out of their youth groups, our daughter was crying because she didn't bring a friend and she's not going to get a Vikings jersey like the rest of the kids. So extreme pressure to keep bringing new people and, um, wow. Okay. So yeah, (laughs) I'm on my iTunes account right now, making sure that I download uh, these sermons, uh, series that you mentioned, because I, I've, I got to admit, I've never heard anything like that where a pastor says to his congregation that he's their earthly master. Wow. We also have heard that nobody has a hotter sex life than him and Kelly. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it just goes without saying. I mean, you know, if you're going to brag about something, I mean, it might as well be that. Uh, who cares about being Christ-like? Um yeah, I find it weird that uh, that these guys spend so much time uh, talking about um, sex and and the importance of having great sex and and yet the whole premise behind their so-called preaching methodology is is that it's to be more Christ-like. Um, last time I checked, Jesus wasn't married, so that wasn't really high on the be Jesus-like thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's where I put in my last my last quote of my blog is what Eric says about that. Um, he hopes he was married, and, and maybe he was married, so at least he got laid. <laughs> really? <laughs> exact quote. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That is the last comment. Let me read this again. One last comment that Eric said in a talk he was giving. Do you know what the context of this particular talk was? said it in several talks. I, you may find it in Boy Meets Girl Week 4. Boy Meets Girl Week 4. That's the, where Eric and Kelly, it's all about asking sex questions. Okay, and so he said, people ask me, was Jesus married to Mary Magdalene? I say, who cares? I hope he was. At least he got laid. And I believe it's in that one. I, he, said, he said it several times. <sighs> wow. Wow. Um, I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like a con artist, somebody who has set himself up, you know, to basically prop himself up at the expense of other people. And he has and the reason why he talks people down who are in their Bibles and calls them Bible nerds is because he knows that if they read their Bible, they'll see the truth about what he really is. Oh, absolutely. Um, even other Christian books said he banned the bait of Satan. You couldn't read that. That's all about forgiveness. What, what, what book did he ban? The bait of Satan. Okay. And I asked him while we were actually, this was, during a Christmas, we were out caroling, right. and I asked him, I heard, I said, I actually just read this book, I heard that you banned it. Uh-huh. And he goes, I don't know, maybe. I'm like, Eric, you you run the church. Did you ban the book? I don't know, maybe. And that's all he said. So, 
okay, I haven't read the book The Bane of Satan, but it's about forgiveness, and he banned the book. He banned the book. But didn't give a reason and kind of was not answering the question straight up when you confronted him about that. No, he didn't answer the question at all. And then when when I had, it's an interesting story, so I had went to, to some different people that call themselves pastors and that they had said that a group of women were going to do a small group on it and we believe they're into to Wiccan. So we're not going to do that small group. And now I come to find out that the woman they were talking about is now leading prayer over people in that church. Yikes. Okay. So, um, oh, wow. Okay, so he doesn't properly handle God's word. He thinks that he's kind of hoping that Jesus got laid. Uh, he has people on the pastoral staff who are not Christians. You witnessed this personally. Um, anybody who disagrees with him gets the left foot of fellowship, and you're constantly pressured, 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 pressured to bring more people to his church in order to make the vision occur and take place, and he has no accountability whatsoever, except for maybe kind of sort of Bill Cornelius uh, down in Texas. Yes. Boy, it sounds like a perfect formula for some really Christ-centered ministry to me. I don't know what you're complaining about, but (laughs) (laughs) holy smokes. Wow. Um, Okay, so there's a lot of people getting hurt by this guy. Um, He's obviously an effective marketer, and he's entertaining for about three or four minutes the first time you hear him, Um, and then it kind of gets really old after that. Um, So people can find you and your ministry called Backdoor Ministries. It's a support group for people who've been abused, not by just Eric Dykstra, but other pastors who are like him. And there's a there's just a growing, growing herd of them across the country. Uh, and um, wow, I, I hope that people contact you um, and uh, and and you can help them see that this wasn't Jesus who did this to them. They 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 were duped. They had the wool pulled over their eyes by well somebody who's posing as a pastor, who really in fact is behaving like a wolf. Um, I, I don't know if I have anything else I can add to this. And, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of grossed out by the stories that you've told me, Jeremy. And I'm sure that if, uh, if I were to push you on it, we could get more, but, um, if you could put your finger on, you know, what do you think the the central problem here is? And, and, uh, what, what, what would you say, you know, the central issue is, uh, with this church? Um, uh... Eric Dykstra and false teaching. Eric Dykstra and false teaching. I guess it doesn't get any simpler than that. Well, Jeremy, thank you for coming on uh, Fighting for the Faith. Uh, you do know that uh, when this uh, hits the airwaves, um, there will be a backlash. And, of course, I will uh, I, I will give Eric Dykstra the opportunity to come on the program and be questioned by me to you know offer his side of the story if he'd like. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, I, but um, I, I, dollars to donuts, I bet he won't do it. Maybe I should challenge him the way he challenged Jesus. Do you think that'll make him come on the program? <laughs> he challenges everybody. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Thank you for coming on the program and and for telling your story again. If uh, if, if people want to read this story, they can read it at ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com. Ourcrossingstory.blogspot.com. Um, uh, Jeremy, thank you, and uh, we will be praying for you, and and uh, folks in your and uh, the Fighting for the Faith audience will be praying for you as you reach out to and minister to those who have been abused by uh, Eric Dykstra, and um, as a result of it, have found themselves going nowhere, not to any church whatsoever. I mean, and uh, we we'll be praying for that gal who had the panic attack when she first set foot into a church uh, just this past Sunday too. Um, I've seen that happen before too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So there it was. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. But uh, let me reiterate: these stories that you're hearing Jeremy tell, we could have gone on for ten hours telling more and more stories because there's a lot more to this than what we even talked about here. We just scratched the surface. And like I said, 
his story is not an isolated story. I've I've received emails from people who've been who've experienced this same kind of abuse from other very prominent pastors that we feature and review sermons from here at Fighting for the Faith, very prominent leaders in the seeker-driven movement. I think that that the seeker-driven leadership model creates guys like this, delusional, uh, visionary, vision-casting guys who think that the job of the sheep is to get behind their vision, and they abuse and beat up people who get in their Bibles and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm telling you, this is not isolated. I think this is the, the, the leadership culture. This is the, well, this is the culture that this leadership model produces. It's a bad model. It's not the model that Jesus used. It's not the model that's taught in Scripture. In fact, it's something completely different. And what we're getting are these little narcissistic cult leaders um, like Eric Dykstra, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, and others. Again, this is not isolated. Now, um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, not tomorrow, Monday. Until Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.